You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Sixth and Peabody, the location. Wednesday edition. Primary complaint coming up in 45 minutes, but we'll have Dan Z with us from Outkick.com. He has a column up involving his top 20 prospects for the NFL draft. He'll join us in 20 minutes. We'll be discussing that. Bobby Carpenter will join us at the top of hour number three later this afternoon. And our fearless leader, Clay Travis, joins us weekly at the 520 Eastern time slot. He'll be with us today on this great Wednesday. Check it afternoon. Clay got to see pregnant Rihanna up close. So we'll have to ask him about that experience. Was his life changed by seeing the the beauty, the glory of pregnant Rihanna? (laughs) That'll be question number one for me because Clay was at the Super Bowl with his lovely wife, Laura. Chad, it's cyclical, right? We, We could... Feel this coming with the hire, hires made official yesterday with Jonathan Gannon to Arizona and Shane Steichen, now the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And like clockwork, Brian Clark and others, including Bob Costas, Jake Tapper on CNN, pointing to Eric Bieniemy not being hired uh, due to the color of his skin instead of the owner wanting to go in another direction uh, based on priorities of said team or organization. Eric Bieniemy has quite the history. Uh, if you look back through the off-the-field issues, uh, on top of the fact that I don't hear a whole lot of his players that he's coached for or coached of on the team vouching for the guy all that much. But here are some of the media members vouching for him post-interview process, starting with Ryan Clark, who says, Sounds good. Be a losing coordinator in the Super Bowl. Be a head coach in two days. Congrats, Gannon and Steichen. Go to five AFC championships, two, uh, three Super Bowls, win two rings. Hope for a lateral move to prove yourself all over again. Get crapped on again. Be enemy. Not sure what dude did, but dot, dot, dot. Alluding to he's black, so he wasn't hired. Well, Ryan Clark's smarter than just saying that two days after losing the Super Bowl, you're getting hired when the hiring process has been ongoing for quite some time for both of these teams. And in all likelihood, Chad, they they had their hire in mind. They were waiting on the game to end so they could actually make this official because they couldn't prior to the game. But that didn't stop Ryan Clark or CNN with Jake Tapper and his guest Bob Costas for pointing the other direction for why Eric Bieniemy wasn't hired this go around. So let's just ask the question on the table. Would Eric Bieniemy be yeah. a head coach today if he have to conclude that is likely, but I want to stipulate by saying that not every individual situation necessarily personifies 
a larger truth. But Eric Bieniemy, having said that, Eric Bieniemy has interviewed 15 times with 14 different teams, the Jets twice, over the last few years for a head coaching spot. Now all 32 positions have been filled. There are four black head coaches in the National Football League and two, Robert Sala with the Jets and Ron Rivera in Washington, who are minority coaches. Four black head coaches. In 2018, the season began with seven. So instead of continued progress, it seems like there's a lurch forward and then a fall back in this ongoing effort to reach some kind of fairness. It doesn't have to be exact equity. It doesn't have to match up to the number of black players within the league. But clearly something is wrong here systemically. Now, when it comes to B enemy, this is what you hear that sure, he's a good coach, but he's the offensive coordinator under Andy Reid. Andy Reid designs the offense, and in fact, he calls the plays. Even Reid himself, who has endorsed Bieniemy as an excellent head coaching candidate, has said maybe he's got to go someplace else to be the offensive coordinator with full authority to prove himself. And he's going to be uh, accepting an interview in Washington to be uh, the potential next offensive coordinator in Washington, Eric Bieniemy, to go into what Casas said there on CNN. But Chad, this goes back to last week's discussion about not even realizing that we had two black quarterbacks starting the Super Bowl. Do you really think that if a coach that's going to help a team win, um, based on his race, was going to keep an owner from hiring him, do you, do you really think the owner, based on winning, would pass up that opportunity? No, not at all. And when Ryan Clark throws out, oh, two losing assistants in the Super Bowl or getting a job right, while right. the winning offensive coordinator, the dude doesn't call plays. It's Andy Reid's offense. Right. So let's set the record straight on that. That's a big part of the reason he's not hired. And here's another reason why he just may not be hired and has nothing to do with his race. And Bobby Brack points this out at outkick.com in the story. February 1998, the arrested with a teammate. They got into a bar fight. July 1990, the enemy pleads no contest after allegedly shoving a firefighter. Uh, September 1993, Colorado police arrested Bienemy. The Orlando Sentinel reports that Bienemy allegedly grabbed a female parking attendant by the neck and threatened her. That's three. There's three other incidents on here in, in a rap sheet. Now, a lot of these things happened a long time ago when he was younger. I'm all about forgiveness and moving on. You know who else is? Andy Reid, who continues to employ the guy for years now and, and, and doesn't have a big issue with it. He is probably a changed man from those issues. But there's not a lot of NFL head coaches that can show that many incidents on their record, on their public record, that have a job as a head coach in the NFL. Now, you can point to some and say, well, uh, there was an incident involving Mike Vrabel. We're here in Nashville. You know, at a casino at one point. Okay, one issue at a casino where I don't even think charges were pressed or something was said or something. It's not good, and it's going to be flagged every time you're going to go for a big job interview, but it's different than the rap sheet that Eric Bieniemy has. So two factors here. And I think it's weird that Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a head coaching job based on his role on a Chiefs offense and all the success they've had. But two big factors. One, it's Andy Reid's offense. He's not calling play. Two, the guy has a legitimate rap sheet of arrest and a record in the past that's not good. The other thing you constantly hear, Hutton, is that he's a bad interview. That one I don't buy as much. 
I'm sure there are plenty of head coaches in the league that have been bad interviews. I'm guessing Adam Gase was a bad interview. I don't know how Nathaniel Hackett was a great interview in the process. I doubt Jim Tom Sula, based on his opening press conference, was a great interview when he interviewed for the job. I'm pointing to three different white guys who were probably bad interviews that got jobs. So I think less of that with the enemy and think more about criminal record, not calling plays in Kansas City, working under Andy Reid as the reason. I just want to get past the assumption, like we heard there with Bob Costas and from so many media members, let's weed out the first assumption that it's racist. Let's look at all the factors and try to figure it out. And don't just default to, well, everything's racist, and it's probably because of his race that he doesn't have a job right now. That was well, Bob Costas' answer. So That's likely was his answer to Jake Tapper, right? That's likely the case. Right. That if he was white, he'd have a job. But, the, I mean, think about the other... Uh, I don't buy that. The other coaches under Andy Reid, and where are they now as far as head coaches are concerned? Uh, Matt Nagy's there. He was being mentioned for either getting an offensive coordinator job or getting back, trying to get back into the uh, head coaching circuit for interviews. Mike Kafka is another one who left last year to be the offensive coordinator, like Benjamin's about to do, left last year to be the offensive coordinator for Brian Dayball in New York, and he got head coaching interviews this offseason based on that. He also lost out to Jonathan Gannon as a finalist in Arizona. Um, so I, I don't immediately jump to that conclusion, especially given the fact that it, you want to talk about fair. I mean, it, we have seen how many interviews take place between the Colts and the Cardinals. I mean, tons. They had three rounds of them in Indianapolis. One of them was Biennemi, um, who interviewed a couple of times. I, I don't look at this as, oh, he's being passed over because we're hiring the white guy. And, I mean, especially with the Colts. Um, it, Jim Ursay will be the first to point this out with who they've employed as their head coach over the years. Oh, no, I, I agree. If there's any beef to it, I mean, the fact that Jim Caldwell isn't a head coach is, uh, is concerning and alarming more than it is the enemy based on his success record. Yeah, it just I don't like the convenient argument side of it, right? I think D'Amico well, Ryan's is going to be a great head coach, but if, if Ryan Clark is going to tweet that out, then Ryan Clark could say, hey, this guy didn't even make the Super Bowl as an assistant. Right. And he's young and hasn't been around that long. How is this guy getting he a head coaching job in Airbnb? Yeah. Let's compare those two resumes. I have one guy well, whose offense lit it up and dominated the second half of the Super Bowl. He's won multiple Super Bowls. And this other young guy who didn't even make it to the Super Bowl uh, is a defensive coordinator. And then he's in. No, he got the job because he's highly thought of across the league and because he is a defensive coordinator with an offensive-minded head coach. A lot of times that's the pairing. When you lead, you are the head coach of one side of the ball, it's quicker to get a head coaching gig. Eric Bieniemy's not the head coach of the offense. Andy Reid is. That's going to be a problem for him. That to go alongside the, the, the rap sheet. And I've got Nick in our YouTube chat firing me up, saying that, uh, where is it here? Nick says, pretty sure that Joe Mixon and Tyreek Hill have done the same or worse, but yet are still employed by the NFL teams. Nick, those two guys have a hard time getting a head coaching job, too, based on what they've done. That, that's my point. They're playing, right? Well, There's a difference between player and head coach in the NFL and what owners are looking for well, with those two roles in terms of leadership. But it goes back to my original point. They're employed by a team. They're playing for a team because they can help that team win. 
period. And the owners are, if you own a team, you should hire who you think is going to be best for your organization. They should have that ability to do that. So the immediate, like, it's almost like writing the column, waiting on the game to end or waiting on something to happen and then hitting post and keeping the column set aside for next year. I mean, that goes back to my original uh, point on Aaron Rodgers a couple of weeks ago. You can just repeat the same conversation all over again, which we're going to see. But in, in this regard, we're seeing it every single year. And we look over the fact of the other coaches that have interviewed, the other coaches who have been hired, and the fact that in regards to the CNN clip that we listened to, if you go and watch the segment, they're not mentioning anything in regards to anything else other than race as to why he hasn't been hired. And I don't look, I don't know how we decipher post-game interviews, but you have on one hand, Chad Henney, who does give credit to Eric Bieniemy, and then Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, who do nothing but talk about Andy Reid. Now, I didn't watch the full post-game press conference from them, but in the immediate aftermath of that win, they're talking trash, they're saying, how dare you disrespect Kansas City, and they're giving a shout-out to Andy Reid. And that's it. For a good reason. Because it's Andy Reid running the show in KC. And wasn't it uh, LaShawn McCoy, who had the, the, on the podcast said, Eric Bieniemy in this short time there, didn't treat him like a human you know, didn't treat yeah, people he, like men in yes. there. And he did not like the way he talked to him and the way he acted around them. Now, look, that's one guy's opinion. I'm sure we can find a lot of players who've loved working under Eric Bieniemy also. Um, but that's also not, not a great thing to hear. And here's also what I do not want, though. Um, I, I do not believe that D'Amico Ryan's success or lack thereof as a head coach should deter any other owner from hiring an African-American head coach. I, I hate just comparing the races. So now, you know, well, Josh McDaniel continu- or McDaniels continues to get head coaching opportunities, and he sucks. So now the next young white guy shouldn't get a job mm-hmm. also. Sa- same goes for that. It's just stupid to just compare the race or the look of someone and say, well, because this guy failed, they now need to go hire the opposite race. Or because this race failed, well – that means that you know there's going to be two other opportunities that are gone away because this age and race didn't work in this job. No. Go interview the candidates and hire the best possible candidates out there. Now, one thing that I will say about this, and I do think this is probably, you know, Bob Costas talks about systemic problems or, or whatever it may be. I don't think a single NFL owner is not hiring a coach because of their race. But... I would buy into the idea that maybe there are a lot of billionaire owners that are in their own world. And in that world may not, may not contain a lot of minority coaching candidates, right? So who they've surrounded themselves with in the past, who they're around, there may be a little bit of a club of who you know and not necessarily what you know. The best owners know what they don't know. And oftentimes that's football, and they rely on people to give them advice on on the football side of it. Maybe there's a little something to do that. But again, that's very different. And how to address that problem was the Rooney Rule, I think in large part, to get people in a room with people that otherwise they may not have the opportunity to be in that room with. But it's very different from saying, this owner's not giving someone a chance because of their race, versus, well, these owners are surrounded by a certain group and now you know they're, they're not finding candidates the right way. Let's see how all this works out. 
But let's also just get away from, boy, this guy didn't get a job. Must be racist. Must be racist. Must be because of his race. I I don't live in that America right now. And I think most of you, if you really look in the mirror and think about it, you don't live in that America also. And I just do not think there's a single owner that's sacrificing the chance to win because of some racist conceit they have. And on behalf of not being the person that's just going to hit click on a headline and repeat this. Let this be my conversation on this because my, my stance isn't going to change on it in regards to Eric B and why or why not he's not being hired. He needs to get out from underneath Andy Reid, which he's going to have the opportunity to do in Washington. If in fact, they're going to extend the offer to him. Um, he is accepting the, the offer to interview and then we'll see what happens. But, I mean, by saying that he's being looked over based on race, I mean, he's had, how many interviews did Costas say? 14, 15 interviews? It's a lot. And how many minority coaches have been hired over the course of those 15 interviews? Again, it, it makes no sense uh, as to why they automatically jump to that. And in regards to not being clickbait, there's where I'm coming down on it. Um, so, Chad, have at it next time. Well, but again, like it's just it's the same conversation every year with Eric Bieniemy. Nick says this program goes out of its way to bring up hypocrisy, but yet won't call out owners for hiring players with legal issues in their past, Nick, but not coaches. Nick also believed that uh, they were covering up Demar Hamlin's death. Oh no no no! Nick doesn't go that way. <laughs> Nick's coming from a very different angle on that. Uh, let me explain to Nick what I'm talking angle. about here. If Sean McVay... That's the same guy, right? If Sean McVay got two DUIs in the next year and he had to sit out for a year or got banned from the NFL for two years or something happened, yeah, an NFL owner would probably hire Sean McVay when he was eligible again. Why? Because he's proven himself as an NFL head coach. Mm-hmm. So they would hire him because they know he's a great NFL head coach and they would take the chance on that risk. Being a head coach in the NFL is a very different job description than running really fast past people like Tyreek Hill. Very different. Owners will give... I'm trying to explain this in the most common way that Nick can possibly understand it. Owners will give players a chance because they can help them win. And they're not asking Tyreek Hill to form a game plan and to stand up in front of all 53 players and lead the group time and time again. It's about opportunity given because they help you win. If Eric Bieniemy was a head coach in the league and then had a bar fight and shoved a firefighter and did all these things that he's done in the past and he had won a Super Bowl before as a head coach, he'd probably get another job. It's that simple. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's black. The NFL is about two things, winning and making money. And they do both very well in regards to the ratings and pouring in cash. Those are the two. The billionaire owners are billionaires for a reason. It's, It's not because they're into losing and making poor choices. That's the common sense answer there. Now, they do make poor choices with hires. Um, There's also reason to point to other uh, white coaches who have been hired at a very young age that have been home runs. Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, again, all from that tree. Where's the tree from Kansas City, white or black? That's all I'm asking for head coaches under Andy Reid. Yeah. I mean, look, the uh, Doug Peterson, someone pointed out, you know, was an Andy Reid assistant, won a Super Bowl, got fired, 
got a job again. Yeah, but but won a Super Bowl after Andy Reid left. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yes, I'm saying with the Eagles. Yes. Yeah. But the 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 lineage that we're seeing from the different coaches, that's my point. Like I just don't see the the hirings happening for head coaches from the from the Andy Reid tree like we do yeah. from McVeigh. And that's what Paul uh, is like, pointing out. Doug Peterson's the only guy who's had right, any success. Right. And in or, that tree. Or like we're about like we're currently seeing from Frank Reich, believe it or not. He's it, producing OC some. in the chart with the Chargers. Steichen was the yeah. coach there. Uh, follows, um, I mean, we've, we've seen several different coaches, Sirianni under Reich. And look, I'm hopeful D'Amico Ryans produces a, a similar lineage, right? I mean, if he goes and has success, then you may see a run but, on guys who work with D'Amico Ryans but also. Houston is a great example of the clickbait headline where a minority coach is fired in Houston and it's because of his race and then they turn around and hire another minority coach and it's it, it's not even mentioned in the discussion of the enemy. Zero sense. Hit us up at Outkick360s where you can do that. We fired up the YouTube chat early, which I like. Great. Let's Coming take a flamethrower to that YouTube chat. Let's go. By what else way, do we want to talk Mahomes about says, uh, Mahomes tweeted out today, it's going to be a long day. That's because the parade is happening. Hydration is key. As we saw with Tom Brady, hydration is definitely key on a day like this. That's right. Uh, coming up, we've got uh, Dan Z who's going to join us, uh, Outkick.com contributor, and he's got the top 20 prospects headed into the NFL draft. We'll dive into that next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okay, 360 rolls on 6th and Peabody, our location, with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, and Dan Z joins us from Outkick.com. Uh, Dan, recent posted Outkick uh, regarding Stephen A. and his response to B. Enemy not being hired. Hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I heard you guys' discussion, and I'll give Stephen A. credit for this. I mean, everyone's going the racism route. He decided to take a different path, which is something uh he says it's all andy reed's fault andy reed has cost eric the a head coaching job in the national football league because he doesn't let him call plays and lets everyone know he doesn't call plays so Stephen a's point is that andy reed should sacrifice calling plays and helping the team win to help eric the get a job somewhere else i, I was just fascinating take. yeah no doubt and where is eric the on all this it's a good question we don't hear um, from him no, and it, it, I suppose he lets the media do the talking for him. And I guess if you had everyone in the media doing all your PR for you, you wouldn't no, say much either. No doubt. It's just fascinating to me that you can have so many interviews and it not be your fault that you don't land a job. I <laughs> well, and it's also like, what if, uh, let's say Eric Pinnamy spoke, and if he came out and said, I think race is the biggest factor why I don't have a job right now, would that get him a head coaching job quicker? or make it impossible for an NFL owner to hire him at that point? Would that properly shame NFL ownership? And, uh, oh, well, I guess he's right. We should hire Eric Bieniemy. I wonder how that would work 
if he came out and said that's what he – I don't know that's what he thinks. But if he said it, I wonder what the response would be. It's a great question, and it, it kind of brings up that idea of you're right. Like, you could go one of two ways. One, it would make him probably unhirable, but at the same time, if he said it, you know, again, the media is going to jump on it and they're going to do their job. Is someone going to be, as you said perfectly, shamed into hiring him? And But is that how you want to get a job? I mean, that's really how you want to start your career? I think, I don't know, I, I guess it's it's probably good that he's mostly just stayed quiet. He does his well, interviews. And the best example we have is Steve Wilkes, who is a part of the Brian Flores lawsuit. Wilkes was named the interim head coach in Carolina this past year. They didn't prevent uh, David Tepper from leaning on uh, Wilkes to lead them to what was a good job. I mean, he he did a nice job with a bad team in Carolina. But he's a part of the lawsuit uh, against the NFL and part of what Flores is doing. Flores, by the way, was introduced as the new D.C. in Minnesota and he said there's plenty of diversity walking the halls. He declined to give an update on where the where the lawsuit is at this point based on last year's uh, lawsuit against the league. But, I mean, uh, he's also landed another gig as a D.C. And I, my guess is he'll eventually be in the coaching ranks again. Well, and that's a good point, uh, Hutton. And also, Dan, I think that shows that, you know, ultimately owners are going to do what owners want to do because right. that, that, that was a risky move by David Tepper after Wilkes did a decent job. And he's suing the league, and he still said, "Yeah, we're going to go a different route because I just and I think someone else would be better." And didn't just decide to you know hire the guy because he's suing the league. And San Fran just hired Wilkes as his as their DC. Um, who's going to be the number one pick in the draft, Dan? This is uh, your big board, your top twenty, and I think the twenty is a good number because there's roughly twenty first round grades per year, give or take a few numbers. Um, who's number one on your board, and why? It's Bryce Young. Um, you know, I think everyone's trying to find reasons why they shouldn't take Bryce Young number one. But at the end of the day, to me, he's the number one quarterback in this class. And, you know, for teams that need that franchise quarterback, he makes a ton of sense. I think, you know, one of the knocks on him is that statistically he took a bit of a step back this year, but there are some mitigating factors there. He lost a lot of his weapons on the outside. Um, he was hurt towards the end of the year. Um, he threw for almost 5,000 yards and 47 touchdowns in a Heisman campaign and, and followed it up with under 3,500 yards. Um, but one stat that I focused in on as an improvement and an improvement in a key area was that he was sacked 39 times in 2021, and he took just 18 sacks this season. That kind of increase in pocket awareness, I think, is a huge step forward for him. I think it shows that he's going to be able to throw from the pocket, which you've got to be able to do. And, you know, just from what we've seen with recent Alabama quarterbacks, I mean, Jalen Hurts just played in a Super Bowl. Uh, Bryce Young certainly a better prospect than Jalen Hurts ever was. Um, you know, Tua played well when he was healthy with Miami. I think Bryce Young's better than Tua. So I think it's pretty clear that with a guy like Bryce Young, you can make and possibly win a Super Bowl, especially in his first couple of years when he's on the rookie contract. So uh, for me right now, it's Bryce Young. I think he's going to go number one. The question is obviously to whom, but uh, right now I've got Bryce Young at number one. Dan, I, you brought up a good point there when you said, you know, this is sort of the time of year where people will try to talk themselves out of something. So now they'll talk themselves out of Bryce Young being the top prospect, even though most will ultimately end up on the spot that he probably is the top prospect. What about talking someone into that spot? And that someone, to me, is, is C.J. Stroud, who you have as your second best prospect. If, if you're going to make that argument or start to make that argument, is the biggest advantage for Stroud simply his height? 
as compared to, to Bryce Young? Well, Stroud played better this year than than Young did and got his team into the playoff and played excellent in the playoff. I mean, they lost the game, but it certainly wasn't, you know, thanks to what he did. And if you look at what Stroud did, the, the thing that jumped out to me about him is he faced 10 ranked opponents in his career and his numbers against ranked opponents, 73% completion, almost 4,000 yards, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions. That included three games against top five opponents this season and that college football playoff performance where he threw for 350 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, I think the only slight concern with Stroud is that although he is extremely athletic, he doesn't really use it. But I see that as more of a positive. That means that unlike a Justin Fields type who kind of goes one read, maybe two, and then it's time to run – Stroud keeps his eyes down the field, and I think ultimately that's going to be better for him um, in his career. As far as Young versus Stroud, it I mean, look, it's close, and I wouldn't hate – I honestly don't hate Stroud at one if you really believe that he's the guy. Um, I just – I tend to lean towards Young's pocket awareness as being elite. And that, to me, is something you can't teach. There are a lot of things you can teach a quarterback. You know, Josh Allen's a great example of a guy who had poor mechanics, struggle with accuracy, but he had incredible pocket awareness. His teammates loved him. And he was able to spend an offseason working through that, improving on it, and becoming a top-flight quarterback. But what you can't teach is that, that pocket awareness, which I think Bryce Young's is elite. And that's why I lean towards him over Stroud, but I, I actually think both are very, very good prospects. Danzy joins us from Outkick.com to get the NFL Draft Big Board Top 20 Prospects right now at Outkick. Uh, I think most would have Will Anderson as their best non-quarterback in the draft. You don't. Why? So the more and more research and the more I talk to people, Bijan Robinson is one of the best prospects We've seen in a long time at any position. The problem is, of course, that he plays running back, which is just not valued like it used to be. But I was reading, you know, that he is the only player on some teams draft boards that has an elite grade in the entire draft. The only one. Um, he's a former five star recruit. He was a top 20 high school player. He has elite athleticism, breaks tackles like you wouldn't believe. And he can catch passes. That's so important nowadays with the value of the running back. I just think he can do things that no one else can do. And you look back to the Giants using the number two overall pick on Saquon Barkley. Some think Robinson is a better prospect than Barkley. And now, I mean, you could make the argument that the Giants maybe could have gone a different direction. Saquon Barkley's been, you know, kind of what you'd want him to be. He was excellent this season, a big reason why uh, the Giants had the year that they had, but he's still a running back and now he needs to get paid and he's had four years in the league and the injuries and all that. But just from a pure football standpoint, it just go watch his tape. That's all I can say. Like people just, just go Google Bijan Robinson highlights and you will see things where you'll be like, wow, he's got Reggie Bush, but bigger, uh, Saquon Barkley, but quicker. Um, he's got everything. And just the question is, you know, again, our team's going to use a high pick on a running back. I mean, I would for this kid. Danny, you really valued the defensive tackles in this draft, uh, having Jalen Carter ahead of, of Will Anderson, having uh, Brian Brissy ahead of Miles Murphy, his teammate, uh, even though Murphy is more of the edge style and, and uh, Brissy's the defensive tackle. Specifically with Carter and Brissy, what did you like most about these two guys? 
Well, I'll say this. So, you know, I did the mock draft, uh, which is, you know, what you're referring to. And what I actually do. So for the big board, this is what I think based on, you know, these prospects, how I would rank them. Uh, the mock draft is me guessing or, you know, predicting anyone who tells you that they're predicting, they're, they're guessing um, what I think teams will do. So I think there is a higher value on those interior guys, especially with what we've seen um, with, you know, Chris Jones and Quinn and Williams, like guys, tough guys, big guys up front can make a huge difference, even in the middle of the defensive line. But as I started looking into Jalen Carter, and this is actually why I moved him down. I have him going third in the mock draft, but I have him as my sixth prospect on the big board. There are some makeup concerns with Carter that he doesn't work hard enough, that he might not love football, that kind of type. I mean, he's got absolute elite athleticism and size. He has everything you would want on paper. But guys who have questions about work ethic and love of football, those type of things, before you hand them $50 million, that doesn't usually get better. So I have actually some concerns about Carter um, same thing with Brissy. Like I think I have him going higher in the mock draft than I do on my board. Cause again, I, I'm with you. I, I value the edge guys uh, quite a bit more personally, uh, but there are teams in the top 10 who just desperately need somebody in the middle to really set the tone on defense. So that that's where I'm at as far as that debate. Yeah, no, and apologies. I, I was going back and forth between your draft and your big board. And I was reading from your draft when I said that uh, I'm back on the big board now though, and offensive tackle, Always a big spot. Here in Nashville, the Tennessee Titans will be in the market for an offensive tackle. Paris Johnson of Ohio State versus another Big Ten guy in Skaronsky at Northwestern. You have them right next to each other at 10 and 11. Why did you give the edge to Johnson from Ohio State? Pedigree, mostly. Uh, Johnson was a five-star top 10 prospect coming out of high school. Uh, He did nothing in college that showed that that wasn't deserved, so – He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's got everything you need in a franchise tackle. But like you said, I have them, you know, one and two. I don't think you can really miss with either one. Um, I think there's a a question about Skaronsky as far as his length. He's a little shorter and thicker than Johnson. And I think one thing to watch is in the combine, his arm length. I'm not, I usually don't get too bogged down in the combine numbers. I think we get a little bit too much with the 40 times and all that, but you know, arm length is important when it comes to offensive tackles. You know, you got to be able to keep guys from getting inside and being able to make those speed rushes around you. So I will be interested to see how Skaronsky compares measurably to Paris Johnson once the combine comes around. I think he's going to be at a bit of a disadvantage there, which is why I went with uh, Johnson initially, but if he shows out at the combine and his numbers are within the range, that could easily flip. Your top wide receiver is Johnston from TCU. Uh, man, he's, what, 6'4"? We'll find out officially at the combine. 6'4", he runs uh, extremely fast. Um, man, Georgia shut him down, though. What do you make of going against the elite corners, some that we'll see uh, coming up in the draft soon, versus what you expect him to do in the NFL? Yeah, you're right. I mean, he looks like he it's, it's actually the same thing sort of we talked about just now with Jalen Carter, which is like he looks like he should be yeah. an excellent wide receiver. And and he is, you know, there are and he is there. And there are questions, though, about this draft as far as wide receivers. Like, is there that elite guy who's worthy of a top 10 pick? We've seen a rash of them go in the most recent drafts and how quickly wide receivers can make an impact. Do you think Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, um, even a few years ago, Jamar Chase quickly, how, how he became elite? Um yeah, Johnson has all of those traits. The 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 
biggest concern with him really is the drops. And he had a 10% drop rate as a senior, which is high. Um, he struggles a little bit going across the middle, but ultimately he's really young. He's, he's just going to turn 22 as the season starts. Um, I think his frame is going to be able to fill out a little bit more. Like you said, he's six, four. I'd like to see him put on a little more weight, but you just can't teach six, four, 200 pounds in a four, three forty. And, and unfortunately like that is super tantalizing to GMs and, and teams looking for a guy on the outside. He makes a lot of sense for a team that already has maybe, uh, that quicker guy on the outside, I, I I looked at him as a potential for Carolina. If they ultimately end up getting someone like Derek Carr and don't take a quarterback, they could end up with Quentin Johnson because I think he would pair extremely well with someone like DJ Moore. I think he's going to need someone on the other side to help open it up. But it's the drops that concern me. But right now, I just, again, it, 6'4", 210 can run like he does. Like it just, it's really hard to, to pass on that, but I, I have some questions myself and it's, it's something I struggled with a lot because I actually think Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best wide receiver in this class, but you know, concerns in his profile, whether it's injury, there's some, Oh, he quit on his team type stuff out there. So again, I, this process is so early. We still have to go through the combine. We got to go through the interviews. We got to talk to people and all that. So I'm just kind of, mapping it out for now on how I see things. And I, I like Johnson a lot as a prospect. Uh, I, again, I think Smith and Jigma might be the guy, but right now I'll go with Johnson just because he doesn't have the red flags that, that and Jigma does. Dan, I've got one more for you. Nolan Smith from Georgia. Um, he's 20th on your list. How much higher is he on your list? If not for the torn peck he suffered this past season. Yeah, it's, he's an interesting case as well, because he was the number one recruit in the 2019 class. Uh, he could have left school last season, decided to return, had the torn peck, and it dropped his stock. There's no question. He's one of those guys that is a potential to go a lot higher, because I think teams might be sitting there thinking like, wow, that injury might push him down the board a little bit. And I think that's ultimately where he might end up providing some value, but he didn't he didn't produce at the college level like the number one ranked recruit in a class should. I mean, he only had 11 and a half sacks in his career, 21 tackles for loss. Um, so there's some concerns in the profile other than the injury, but he's another guy where pedigree is unbelievably high. Spent four years at Georgia, didn't get to play in a second national championship, but won one. I think in the middle to later first round, he's definitely a guy that is going to come off the board. And I think it's possible someone might even trade up to get him just because the measurables are so good. And he just, he's just a guy. The question is, yeah, the injuries and, and the lack of production in college. But again, just another Jalen Carter, Quentin Johnson, like so many of these guys just look like elite football players. And the question is, you know, how is it going to translate at the next level? Dan Z, you can read his work, outkick.com and, I mean, this is a great reference as we get ready for the combine and the coverage in a couple of weeks. And then I'm assuming you'll update this after the combine. Yeah, I'm going to update it throughout draft season. I'm going to actually come up with a new mock here shortly as well. And then uh, I'm probably going to add to it. I mean, I like what you said, 20 first round grades, um, but I'll probably try to get to at least the top 40, try to get yeah. to, I would like to accurately have all 32 first round picks on my big board. I'll say that. Love that. Hey, man, great work. It's, we appreciate it. It's good that. to have goals, Dan. It's yeah. good to have goals. Let's try to reach those goals. There will always be Thanks, that guys. third round guy that, that, that Belichick wants. Cole Strange. Yeah. I, I doubt you had Cole Strange in the top 32 of your last, last year's big board. <laughs> so if you can get that one, uh, you're going to be in, in business. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Have a good one. Dan Z there. Uh, Chad, every Wednesday, 
we air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaint time? Yes. Is it that time? Yes. Uh, we got time that on now. the other side. Um, Spielberg, you were showing me Spielberg was hugging Tom Cruise saying thanks for saving Hollywood. Said you've, uh, quote, saved Hollywood's ass by making Top Gun Maverick and saved the theatrical industry because people will go back to the movies now I've got because of Tom Cruise. One big complaint regarding that. Okay. Um, going back to the theater. That's F- Fableman's? Next. <laughs> His latest work? Oh, Kick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming up in a little over an hour, Bobby Carpenter will join us, plus Clay Travis in an hour and a half. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. It is time. It's time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. Guys, my primary complaint this week, I've found the new worst, the new low. The worst bathrooms in America are not at your down-the-street gas station. No, in fact, they're at your local movie theater. (laughs) Disgusting. Despicable. And I don't plan on going back to see a movie there uh, until they actually improve those conditions because I don't want to have to leave feeling like I need a tetanus shot and a shower. That's my primary complaint. That's just called a Tuesday night for me. Um, that's really good. I never got gone to the bathrooms in the movie theater to know that. So my primary complaint, not the staff dinner that we had in Phoenix uh, when we were there for the Super Bowl. It was a lovely chat and a lovely time with everyone there without kick. Not really even the restaurant per se that we were at that took way too long to get anything. Water, drinks appetizers, food, all those things. My primary complaint is that if you are going to say you are short-staffed when we walk in and continue to apologize for everything, it's not enough just to say you're short-staffed, even if the restaurant isn't full, which this one wasn't. You must take it to the next level. You do not have the right to be territorial Mm. if you don't have people there to help you in a prompt amount of time. Here's what I'm proposing. Okay, actually I have a solution to my primary complaint this time. Make your restaurant self-service. If I walk in and you tell me it's going to be an hour and a half before you get your food, I may be exaggerating, maybe not. It felt about that long (laughs) the other night. Well, then if I can see our food order is right there at the edge of the kitchen, I should be allowed to go grab that food and bring it back to our party. If our drink orders are at the bar, I should be able to go and get that from the bar or just skip right past you and have a tab at the bar and not have you look at me cross if I go to the bar and back to the table. You do not have the right to be territorial if you don't have enough people to give prompt service. 
So tell us, change a restaurant, make it self-service, do something other than making people wait way too long for food and drink. That is my primary complaint. Well, guys, for me, my primary complaint revolves around the Hallmark card industry. I don't know when the last time you guys bought a card was, but I went yesterday. It's $9 for just like a generic Hallmark card. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, pretty much. And now I will say they could just wait to the last day and then mark it up. I'm never going to know because I'm always the last one to do this. But the fact that these cards are now going for the rate they are, like, is this some sort of racket? How (laughs) how have they got this? Like, they're just funneling money in and then uh, on the outside, they're like, all right, we can at least mark it up to $9. I I don't understand how cards have gotten this expensive. Uh, My sister, she actually has a good idea. Now, granted, it's like plagiarizing or whatever, but she'll just take a picture of the card and then just go home and recreate it. Which, but I don't have the time to do that, and I'm not going to waste the money doing that. Well, I wouldn't be wasting money. Time is money. So you, you, get, you get where I'm at on that one, but that is my primary complaint. See, now the question I have is, who is Davies Valentine? Was the, uh, this was for my grandmother, man. For your grandmother. Yeah. That's nice. That's good. Put She's that out $9 there for man. the ladies. Yeah. yeah. What if Hallmark was like, uh, with all these exorbitant charges for cards, they were secretly funding the war in Ukraine or something <laughs> that comes out later? I could see that story. Like, we went from $3 it's a like, card to nine dollars because and Ticketmaster. yeah they're funneling arms somewhere yeah. to help out in some uh, conflict somewhere globally maybe that's the case with hallmark I, it's been many years since i've purchased i, I shouldn't say that i i, I sometimes am tasked with going <laughs> to get christmas cards oh yes. like hey we're going to this thing like can, if can you swing by somewhere and grab a card occasionally i'll be the one requested to do that and i'll pay for it i'll be honest i'm terrible about looking at prices of things not because I'm that Same. rich. Same. I'm just not that diligent at looking at prices. I just grab something that small and assume it's not a lot of money. But apparently, according to Davey, I'm wrong. It is a lot of money, so I should start looking at it. Compared to where it was. Compared. I've, seen, I've seen cards like 15 bucks with the bells and whistles on them. It's, yeah, that's got to have the sound box on the inside. Yeah. You know, open yeah. it up, and it's going to play some Madonna for you. And then the battery dies. <laughs> Those quickly. are the ones that are expensive. Yeah. Headlines when we return, including uh, Lamar Jackson returning to the Ravens. Maybe not. Discussion next.